Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. Quite a familiar passage, but uh, here we go. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you that you are running after us with your goodness, that you are faithful whether we need or whether we have plenty. And we have so much in Canada, and we are so, so grateful, Lord. We pray that you are, would be with those who do not have the luxury of peace today, that you would comfort them in their fear and in their trauma. And Father, I pray for Kyle today as he leads us and teaches us that you would open our hearts to hear with fresh ears what he has to say today, what you have to say to us. We thank you for the privilege of gathering and worshiping in this place and for the opportunity to learn in this way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Amanda, for reading today. Thanks, team. Well, today as we uh, study... This passage of scripture, which Amanda just read for us, we come to one of the most misquoted Bible verses of all time, and that is Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, or, you know, if you know different translation, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, very often, I think this verse has been sort of taken out because it sounds exciting, and we use it as a way to sort of say, there's nothing that can stop me, or I can do anything in the world because I have God on my side. We hear athletes using it before the big game, and I mean, I asked this question this morning, and I got an answer from some ACS students, but what happens? Like, what does God think when ACS and MEI are up against each other in a sporting game, and both teams say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Well, the ACS students said they win, but, um, uh, but you know, the, re the reality is we hear people quoting this, and while it sounds great, it really is quoting it foolishly because it often leads us to try to accomplish things that we weren't meant to accomplish. It's tried to be used towards things that might make people want to be more of an atheist than a Christian because they hear it used so liberally and it doesn't really magically make something happen for those people on that day. And so today what I hope to do is for us to look at that phrase in its context and to understand what it can mean for us today, this week, as we go through perhaps some challenging things in life. And so in order to do that, what we really have to do is we have to sort of rewind to read what that verse says in its whole context. And while it's in the context of the whole book of Philippians, what we know is that here in these couple verses 
Paul is speaking to something specifically. If we look at verses 11 and 12, we see Paul says this, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to have need. I know what it's to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What keeps popping up in these verses? Contentment. Contentment is the idea that Paul is trying to get the Philippians to understand. If you were with us last week, you would remember that we looked at the preceding verses, which talked about God in or Paul encouraging us to go to God with our prayers and petitions, all of our concerns and lists of needs, and bringing them to him with thanksgiving so that God could give us peace where we have anxiety. Paul's writing to a bunch of Christians who live in a Roman colony that is sort of the flagship city outpost outside of Rome where the emperor is constantly looking. These are Christians who live in a community where it is expected for them to worship Caesar. So they're in an awkward position as Christians told that they're only supposed to worship the one true God, and they're supposed to follow Jesus. And so Paul knows as he writes to them that there is going to be times that they are going to have anxiety and suffering. And in the midst of those things, he knows that there's probably a temptation to whine and complain and look for something else. It's easy, right, when we go through difficult things not to feel particularly content. And in the case of these Christians in Philippi, they were going to experience a lot of that because, because of the way they live, they're going to have persecution, they're going to lose their jobs, they're probably going to have a hard time with some people in their community selling them the goods that they need. This is what it means to be a Christian in their day. And so contentment can easily go flying out the side door. So Paul says, I want you to know something. I want you to learn something from me that I have learned through the experience I've been going through over the last number of years. And so Paul has a lot to say about contentment. And it all starts with sort of a context that would make sense to the Philippians, something that they could identify with in verse 10. In verse 10, he said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, this is stretching a little bit back, but if we remember all the way back to the beginning of the book of Philippians, we might remember that Paul has already expressed his appreciation to the church because they were financially supporting the mission's journey that he was on. And what they had done is they had taken up a collection and they had sent it with this guy named Epaphroditus and he had brought it to where Paul was. But for some reason or another, the money began to sort of disappear. 
Now, we don't know why. Paul doesn't go into it. He seems to understand the context because this interaction has been renewed now, but something's come up. Whether it's they don't have a healthy person to go through the travel and journey to bring Paul the finances that are needed, whether it's because the church just doesn't have any more money. And people are feeling the pinch because they're living in this Roman colony as citizens. We, we don't know, but it's understandable that something would go on in the life of a church that would maybe make it difficult to support these missionary journeys. And so Paul experienced a season where he did not receive what he would maybe outwardly seem to need. He's thankful, of course, though, that he was able to carry on. And so that's why he's able to say in verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I don't know how easy that really would have been for Paul to say. I mean, it's easy to say when life is going good. To say, oh, I'm I'm not worried about very many things. Like, life is good. But Paul's in prison, (laughs) chained to a Roman guard wherever he goes. He's been beaten and shipwrecked and has probably been starving, as we see from the verse, in different periods of times. Yet he is able to declare that he is content. I'm content no matter what, is what Paul says. I want you, just for a moment, to stop and think about what makes you happy. What's the list of things that you would write down if you were to make a list of things that would uh, be the achievement for being content in life? For me... Health for my family, a safe and peaceful home, enough money to pay the bills with a little bit extra in savings for those emergencies, and friends and and family who are active in my life. I think if I have all those things, or when I have all those things, I can say pretty easily that I'm content in my life. I mean, I don't face a lot of hardships, really. But Paul himself, he had to face a lack of all these things. Paul's been sick on his journeys. Again, he's been shipwrecked. He's traveling in his ministry, trying to bring the name of Jesus everywhere. And so while there's people who take him in in these different churches that he goes and establishes, he, he doesn't have his own sort of home that he goes to every night to sort of decompress after all the things he's going through. We know that while he's a bivocational pastor, sort of, he's doing some work on the side to earn an income to keep on journeying. We know that there's times where he just doesn't have enough in every day. We see Paul faces all sorts of difficult times where he has friends abandon him. We see through his missionary journeys that there's times when he just butts heads with people and they decide to go in different ways. Paul's life is full of conflict. It's full of hardships. Yet he says he is content. Now to a Roman audience, this would have been a great thing. Because 
the uh, Roman influence was largely bringing a set of Greek philosophy to the world in Paul's day. And the sort of chief ideal amongst all of that was Stoicism. To be a Stoic was to be a person who on the surface and in their mind, hopefully through every part of their being, is able to say, I'm okay no matter what. For the ancient Stoics and for all the people who were trying to sort of succeed in life, contentment was the basis for every virtue. I mean, think about it. Well, what do you think of when you would think of someone being called a Stoic? Well, you think of them being someone who's unmoved by difficult things, someone who's patient and seems to be at peace in their day-to-day life. I've known some people who are Stoics, and I know a lot of people, even more, who aren't those things. But ancient Stoic Seneca, who you might recognize from other ancient writings, like uh, stuff about Julius Caesar, once said, The happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. This is what is expected of us. Really, not much has changed in the last couple thousand years. Our society tells us that we should all climb to the place where we've achieved enough contentment and not be moved by that. Now, where it tells you to find that line of what contentment is is way beyond our reach. But there is sort of this expectation that we can get there on our own. That you and I have something within us that allows us to climb to a place where we can be content in all things. The problem is, how's that going for you? For me, it's not going great. When I try to do it on my own, when I try to to sort of create my list of measures that get me to contentment, I realize as I'm even sort of starting to achieve those things, the goalpost moves. Oh, actually, I want something a little bit more. There's something else that that I need to bring into my life that, that would just help me be a little more content in these things. Or I fail. I blow it in a relationship with somebody. I didn't do very good budgeting that month, and now the money's not quite there, and suddenly I realize I'm a failure. I can't achieve contentment on my own. Even the most stoic of people I know fails in this thing. I had a real great privilege when I went to uh, college to take wilderness leadership to know a guy named Bruce. Bruce was an amazing wilderness guide, and he developed his business and his background around taking people into the most remote of circumstances for backpacking and sea kayaking trips. I mean, he'd go way up into the Arctic, and it was the expectation that he would guide these wealthy clients in to where they wanted to go to see the things that they wanted to see. And he was able to not just get there himself, but to bring all the luxuries and comforts that there were. And somehow, as he'd 
grizzled himself through these difficult circumstances, through these remote wilderness excursions, he'd been able to come to sort of this steely presence in all things. I remember a group of us, uh, of classmates and I, we were hiking with Bruce, taking us somewhere, and we got to this one place where we were on the edge of a cliff, ascending this really steep incline, and we had to use this chain that was bolted into the rock to start to climb up high. And as we did this and were struggling, Bruce somehow walked on just his two feet up the rock face beside us, teetering on the edge of the cliff. And I remember, it's still vivid in my mind, he just sort of stood with one foot up on a rock, relaxed, not breathing heavy, unfazed by the fact that there was a thousand foot drop beside him. (sighs) You guys coming? But even him, even Bruce, who had sort of built the, the perfect life, he seemed to be totally content in any sort of situation. I remember he came to a place that was his breaking point. He was supposed to, in between classes he was teaching for us, take us, uh, he was supposed to take a group of very wealthy clients on an experience of sea kayaking and backpacking in some of the remote islands to our west. But the problem was, a cancellation had to come in. He lost tens of thousands of dollars in one weekend. Suddenly, this guy who seemed stoic in every circumstance was a little bit grumpy on Monday when he came to teach class. He seemed to just be coming a little unraveled because suddenly he was feeling the sense of responsibility, not just to care for himself and his family, but all those employees who would lose out on the income and this man that we knew as being so steely, so strong, so content in every circumstance, hiking on a most miserable of day just with a smile on his face, came crumbling down. We realized it was all a facade. And it was all a facade because he tried to build it on himself. The Apostle Paul did a completely different thing. The Apostle Paul didn't try to do it all on his own. Well, he did at the beginning before he met Jesus. But once he met Jesus, he realized there needs to be a redefinition of what contentment is. And that's what Philippians 4.13 is. Where Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What's Paul saying? I can face any sort of thing that the world brings. I can face times of difficulty and trials with family and friends. I can face times where I can barely pay the bills so I don't really have all that much to eat. I can face all these times of hardships and my health collapsing because I've seen what Christ can do in and through me. As I think about Paul, I think about all the different struggles that he had and how God brought him through it. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Where is safe for Paul? Nowhere in terms of the things that he could immediately see. Yet still we read later on in that same book in chapter 12, Paul saying this, but I must go on with boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revel- I will go on from visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness." Paul had seen what a vision of God can do in the life of a person. Paul had seen the incredible power of God changing people in ways that don't even make sense to our natural minds. Paul had seen the very living God come and meet him on his way to go kill Christians on the Damascus Road. Paul knew at the depth of his being to be content was to trust in the one who was unseen but was ever moving in the world around him. Contentment is something that we have to learn. It was something Paul had to learn, right? Paul says, I have learned to be content in every situation. And our learning for you and I might be a little bit different than Paul. But nevertheless, we need to gain eyes to see the way the Lord is working. Most of us end up going through difficult times in lives thinking, how do I escape? How do I get out of this place or out of this situation? Yet, we forget that God is working. I'm actually thankful in retrospect, and most of us probably are, right? We probably have seasons where we've gone through difficult things, where we've realized that because we went through that difficult thing, God was working. I'm super thankful personally that my parents were in horrific car accidents when I was a child because it was what brought our family to faith. Horrible situation. No one, I would never want anyone to go through that thing. Except for the fact that it brought us to Jesus. And now we have generations of faith in our family from where there was never those who knew Jesus before us. I've gone through difficult times where I have been struggling financially and I have felt God say, I want you to give towards this cause. And I've gone, are you crazy? 
but the Lord has called me into it, and I knew that it was going to be a difficulty, but as I gave to that thing he was doing, God blessed me in other ways. And there was just such a rich sense of joy and satisfaction that would never have been brought if I managed my money my own way. I've gone through different things relationally, emotionally, physically, and every time God has shown me that he's there for me, that he's providing, that he's using that situation for something else to come about down the line. And I believe that because I see it in hindsight. The problem is I ignore that when I go into the difficult times. And so I think I have to be disciplined to begin looking for the ways that God is working rather than being trying to be disciplined to climb out of the situation I'm in that day. I think the first century Christians had it a little bit better than us in this way. Not in terms of circumstance that we would want to experience, but in terms of the fact that they learned because they saw and they had been taught by Jesus and those closest to him that they were to look for God's working everywhere. I mean, I can't imagine how the apostles and the disciples suddenly were changed by seeing Jesus murdered on a cross and having a hopeless three days only to come out the other side and be like, wow, he really was working. He really did come back. Of course they had an opportunity to be content in all, all circumstances because the worst day that they could imagine had already happened. And so now they learned to live in a different way. Well, why don't you and I begin to think and look that way? The worst day that could ever happen for you and me has already been dealt with. Scripture tells us that because of how we've lived, because of how we've gone against God, we deserve the ultimate penalty. Death and separation from a loving God who is at work in the world. But because God himself came down to the earth and climbed onto a cross and died and waited those three days before he came back to life, he enabled us to avoid that. And instead to step into an eternity from the moment we have faith in him. To spend with him. The other week we looked at the wonderful picture that Paul painted of how we get to be citizens of heaven. And how God has revealed this beautiful plan to, to bring us into a perfect place. And the perfect relationship with him that we get to spend eternity with him in that. That's eternity. Yet we're worried about the 80, 90 years we have on this earth. We get so bogged down in this junk that's so temporary when we think about the length of time that we have God's blessing. I think we need to learn to look at how God is bringing us through these things each and every day.
a lot of us know Psalm 23. What does Psalm 23 say? I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. It doesn't say, I see the valley of darkness or death and so I fear no evil. It is through by journeying with God through the difficult times of life that we begin to experience contentment, but only if we learn to trust in him. But only if we train our minds to see what's happening by God's design. Ultimately, your and my discontentment in life has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with our dissatisfaction of what God is doing in and around us. And that dissatisfaction isn't actually that God isn't doing things in and around us. It's that we don't pay attention to what we have the opportunity to see. So Paul speaks these words that were really meant to be some of the most quoted words in history. I don't think that there's a problem that this phrase is known by so many Christians. I would encourage the next generations to hear it and to claim it as truth for themselves, but with the true knowledge of what it means. Because of who Jesus is and what he is doing in and through me, what he's already done on the cross, where he's already at, in what he's going to bring, because of all of these things, I can have strength to face today. I can go through anything that life brings because it's him who strengthens me. It's who him who's in front of me. It's him who's behind me. It's him who's beside me. It's him who lives in me. Again, Paul writes of his own experience in Colossians chapter 1. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature to Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Why I bring up that verse is because we see that Paul, in the midst of all these circumstances, again, recognizes We have an opportunity to contend with faith because of the energy that God has breathed within us. We have the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of life that brought Jesus out of the grave, living within us to face each and every day. I have hope for the commitment the Campbells made today for Ella to come up in the faith, not actually because of Matthew and Heather. Not actually because of the commitment we made as a church, but because of the Holy Spirit of God living in Matthew and Heather and Clara. Because of the work the Holy Spirit brings out in you and me. I want to keep contending, even though there's many things that would say, Kyle, you should just give up You should have so much to be dissatisfied in. There's so many reasons not to keep going. I want to keep going because I see what Christ can bring. 
I can be content even though everything is telling me, don't keep going. Be dissatisfied. Do it your own way. Because Christ lives in me. I know there's so many things that people are facing in this church today. I know that there's people here or represented here who are going through incredible amounts of grief at the loss of a loved one or who are facing that very thing as they have a loved one who's dying. I know there's people here in this room that are struggling. You are, you are hurting so desperately financially trying to figure out how you get out of this hole you're in. I know there's others who have broken relationships with family and friend and you are just sitting there and you're just like, it just feels empty and worthless. There's other of you who are just stuck on the treadmill at work and you're just sitting there feeling like, why do I keep going to work each and every day? It's never getting me where I want to be. To you, I would encourage that this hard thing is an opportunity to see your heart and life changed. That's a hard thing to say, and I know it sounds insensitive, but it is the most sincere thing I can say as I read the scripture. God allows you to go through these hard things so that you might know him, so that you might experience the provision he can bring in a way that you would never be able to manufacture on your own with all of the strength and all of the resources that you think you have outside of him. What God's inviting you into is an opportunity to trust in him, to bring every prayer and petition with thanksgiving to him so that that thing that's giving you anxiety can be brought to peace as you trust and follow the steps that he tells you you must take. And then you will be able to say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. As we think about that today, we're going to go to the communion table. The communion table is a powerful reminder each and every month that we partake that God has done the hardest of jobs in our experience that he's taking care of you and me. And we have an opportunity today as we take the bread and the cup to have our mind reset, a reframing of the difficult things to remember that what I'm facing today is small in comparison to the eternity that God brings. So in a moment, I'm gonna pray and servers are gonna go to the six stations around the room and the band's gonna lead us in the first part of a song and, and you are welcome if you were a follower of Jesus to head to one of those stations and just grab the bread and grab the cup and, and just so we know, the bread is gluten-free so everyone who has dietary stuff, you can partake because we want this to be a reminder for each and every one of us. We don't want there to be a barrier in what happens, but I want you to go and you grab those things and then head back to your seats. And then together we're gonna read the scripture where we read of Jesus speaking of what he accomplished as he went towards the cross. And then we're gonna take the bread and the cup and then we're gonna celebrate the work that God is doing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And God, I know that it has been misquoted and mis 
and we've been mistaken in how we use it. God, I've been mistaken in that. And Lord, I, I ask for your forgiveness for the places where I have spoken what is untrue about your word. But Lord, I thank you that you've already forgiven me. And I thank you even as we go to communion here in a moment that there's this reminder that you've already gone before because you knew every way I would go against you, even just misspeaking the truth of your word. But Lord God, I thank you that I can, can be content, that we together as a church family can, can trust in you, can rest in you, can find peace for our hearts and minds because of what you have done for us. Lord, it doesn't make the difficult things, pain, go away. It doesn't mean that there's not lots of journeying to do with you through those situations, but God, I pray that we would have a, a reframed understanding of all those things that we'll go through this week, through this month, through this year. God, I pray that this reminder of, the, of your word now would be implanted in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you bring it to mind when we, when we need it? God, we thank you that you love us so much that you would go to the cross for us. We thank you that you love us so much that you would die, but then that you loved us enough that you rose again so people could see you and teach us more about you. And Lord God, as we remember that, as we celebrate what was accomplished on that day, God, I pray that we would learn to be content in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.